when you inventory your relationships, how many of you can look back and just say, here was a relationship and I was in and I found myself injured, wounded, or hurt in that relationship? And then if that's happened to you, how did you respond to that other person or to those people? If your sports team loses a game, and most of us lost yesterday in this room, uh, they're always looking to say, we can't wait to play them again because why? We're going to get revenge on them the next time. Uh, if you saw anything on the news here lately, you saw about the San Antonio Zoo. I thought this was hilarious. But when you talk about our, our culture when it comes to revenge, they've got a thing coming up for Valentine's Day that if you will give them $10, you can name a cockroach after your ex and they will feed that cockroach to an animal. Sound like revenge to me. Top it off, if you'll give them $25, they'll let you name a rat after one of your exes, and then they'll feed that rodent to another animal. If you want to do that, 10 to $25, you got your choice, you can do it. Literally, go on their website, you'll be able to see that. That's not ministerially speaking. That's the real deal right there. But revenge. Most of us in this room, let's just be honest, we've had people who've hurt us, wounded us, injured us. What did we do in the midst of that? GPS apps. How many of you use those? Most of us do. You want to go somewhere, so you put the destination in, and you've got some voice that's trying to help you get there. If you make a wrong turn or you miss a turn, some voice is going to say you need to make a U-turn or you need to turn to the right or you need to turn to the left, and then you're all confused, and then you'll finally be able to get there. But most of us have those apps that we use if we're traveling somewhere. And let's be honest, there are times we would just say to our Heavenly Father, if you'll just tell me which way to go, and if you'll just tell me what to do, Lord, I'll do it. But I just want to know which way you want me to go and what do you want me to do. Even in the area of broken, hurt relationships. There were four young men walked into a restaurant one night. They had masks on, not because it was COVID, but because they were walking into this restaurant to rob the restaurant. And they walked in that night to the restaurant. The employees saw what was taking place and the employees scattered. They ran as fast as they could. There was one employee in the restaurant. He was the cook. He had earbuds on, earphones on. And so he couldn't really hear and he wasn't paying attention what was going on. And then these four robbers came to him. He wasn't even supposed to be working that night. He was filling in for somebody else. And they demanded he go to the front of the restaurant and to open the cash register and to give them all the cash and the money. He goes to the front to the cash register. The cash register, he could not open it. He was a cook, didn't know what to do. It was jammed and he couldn't get it open. And there was one young man in that group, 17 years old, high on drugs, had a gun. He pulled the trigger and killed this young man who was the cook in that restaurant. His name, Tony Smith. His father, Dr. Robert Smith, is a ministry friend of mine. He's a professor in uh, Birmingham, uh, Alabama area. But, but his, Dr. Smith was preaching a, a conference in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he gets a call as he was leading this conference and said, your son, Tony, has been shot. And then it wasn't long after that he got another message and said, your son has been shot, but he has also passed away. He died. How would you respond to those who killed your son? Dr. Smith 
continued to go on in ministry. And one time he was in Nairobi, Kenya, just a few months after that. And as he was getting ready to minister in Nairobi, Kenya, the Holy Spirit spoke into his life. And Dr. Smith said the Holy Spirit asked him two questions and the Holy Spirit made one statement. And Dr. Smith said, I didn't hear the Lord audibly. It was louder than that. But he said, I knew what the Lord was saying. And so in Nairobi, Kenya, a few months after his son has been tragically killed in this restaurant, the Holy Spirit asked Dr. Smith to say, do you believe in forgiveness? And Dr. Smith said, Lord, you know I believe in forgiveness because you've forgiven me in Christ. Second question, do you teach and preach about forgiveness? And Dr. Smith said, Lord, you know I do because I'm faithful to your word and I want to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. So yes, because you are a forgiving father. And here was a statement. I want you to forgive Tony's killer. What would you do in that situation? Your son cooking at a restaurant wasn't even supposed to be working that night filling in a shift for somebody else. Robbers come in. He couldn't get the cash register open. 17-year-old, high on drugs, pulled the trigger, shot and killed your son. And the Holy Spirit is saying to him in Nairobi, Kenya, do you believe in forgiveness? Do you teach and preach about forgiveness? And I want you to forgive Tony's killer. Dr. Smith, processing through that, found himself sitting at a desk with a piece of paper and a pen. And he's going to write Tony's killer a letter in prison. And Dr. Smith said, I want him to know three things from my heart. And here were the three things he wanted Tony's killer to know. Number one, I'm praying for you. Big statement. Number two, here's what Dr. Smith said to Tony's killer. One, I'm praying for you. Two, I love you. And number three, I'm praying for you. I love you. And here's number three, I forgive you. He didn't seek revenge. He saw release, forgiveness. Dr. Smith went on to say, and it hasn't happened yet, but he said, I look forward to the day if the Lord will grant it when Tony's killer is released from prison. And he said, my desire is to have a relationship with him. I'd love to go to have lunch with him. I'd love to invite him to go to church with me. I just want to have that kind of relationship with him. What do you do in your life when you've had people in your life wound you, hurt you, injured you? How many of you are about revenge or how many of you are about release where you forgive the person who did that? When you look at the word revenge, it's a strong word. We oftentimes use words like resentment. Somebody does that to us. I resent him or I resent her. We often talk about repay. I'm going to make that person repay based on what he or she did to me. We talk about the word retaliate. I'm going to retaliate against that person. Better watch his or her back because at the right moment, I will find myself getting even with that person. Is that what God wants us to do? David and Saul, they're in this cave at a place called En Gedi. 
It's an incredible place in the Holy Land. If you're ever with us on a journey to the Holy Land, we will always stop at this place. The Bible says here in 1 Samuel 24 is a place called En Gedi. It's a place of rugged terrain. There are steep cliffs. There's a waterfall. There's caverns and caves there. There are even animals there called ibex, beautiful little animals. Many times we'll see little babies of those. Incredible sight to see. But David and Saul are in this place called En Gedi. And David and his men are in a cave. And Saul and his men come into this cave. And Saul is relieving himself. The scripture is so real to life. David had an opportunity to get revenge on Saul. Saul's been trying to kill him and take his life. Saul is in the hands of David. Is David going to get revenge or is he going to practice release? As we look at this, I want you to look at your outline. What's important to Jesus? Because as you look at this context, you think about revenge. There are all sorts of things we could say about revenge. But here's what I want you to see. And you know this very well. Scripture is so different from what the culture is going to say to us. And praise the Lord for that. There are times, again, the world's going to say to us, if you've been hurt, wounded, or taken advantage of, or bullied in some way, or, or somebody has hurt your life, then you need to seek when the opportune time comes, you get even with that person in his or her life. But you read the counsel of God's word. You hear the words that come from the lips of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And hear some of these words in Matthew chapter 5. I just encourage you to maybe make a mark, go back and read Matthew chapter 5, because here's what Jesus says, so different, upside down from the world. But here's what Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, do what? Turn to him the other also. Not to get even. Not to fight back and slap back. No, you just turn the other cheek. He goes on to say, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And then he comes down to verse 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So different from the ways of the world. Jesus is not about repayment or retaliation or revenge or resentment. He's about release. He's about forgiveness. What's important to Jesus? He wants you to be in that. Write these words down. One, saved. This morning, every person in this room, every person watching, he wants you to be saved. He left heaven and he took on human flesh in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect, sinless life. and He died a sacrificial, atoning death on a cross. He shed his blood, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Why? Because he wants you to be saved, born again, forgiven. Have the assurance that you're going to go to heaven. If you are saved, thank him for your salvation. If you're not saved, ask him this morning to save you and to forgive you and to redeem your soul and your life. He wants you to be saved. Second, he wants you to be obedient. Whatever he asks you to do, he wants you to be obedient to that. It's your yes on the table. If he asks you to do something this morning, and he wants you to do something in an invitation, would you be obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Make sure you're saved, but also make sure you're obedient to whatever God wants you to do in life. Third, he wants you to be surrendered. He wants you to live life with open hands. Lord, I surrender all. Because of how amazing your grace is and all that you've done in my life. Lord, I'm not living with clenched fists. I'm living with open hands. Whatever you want, I'm surrendered to you. Lord, my life is yours. Everything I possess is yours. Lord, everything about my future is yours. I'm living a surrendered life to you. Are you living a surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Then he wants you connected. 
He doesn't want you living solo. He doesn't want you living out there isolated by yourself. He wants you connected to the people of God. Again, the church, the church is not perfect. We have issues, but there's something about the fellowship of God's people, whether it's preschoolers, kids, students, adults. He wants us connected to one another to share life together and the fellowship together. We are stronger and better together. He wants us connected and then Phil, he wants us mature. It's okay to be an infant in Christ, but there's a point where we need to get off the milk and start eating the meat of the word. He wants us to grow up and be mature. He wants us to be mature and spiritual and set apart for what he wants to do in our lives. So when you look at those things, those are some things he expects. How are you living the life that he wants you to live? So as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 24, I want you to walk through this text with me and I'm going to give you some blanks to fill in. Because uh, this is a challenging word, this is a challenging message, but this is the message that the Lord gives us from First Samuel 24 about overcoming revenge. You can be an overcomer, and how do you do that? Look at number one, refuse to seek revenge. As I say that about refusing to seek revenge, we need to refuse a lot of things. What do you refuse in your life? I mean, somewhere we've got to get to the point of maturity in the Christian life to say, I'm not going to fill my calendar with good stuff. And then miss the best that God has for me. The enemy loves for us to get so busy doing good things, we miss God's best. Let's don't do that. Let's make sure we have priorities and boundaries and guardrails to say, Lord, I don't want to get so busy doing good stuff that I miss your best. I want to make sure my priorities are right, that I can do the best that you have for me in the Christian life. Comes to our finances, same thing. Uh, We need a good strategy, a good budget, good plan because we don't want to spend more than we make. We find ourselves upside down financially. We need to refuse to to do that in in the Christian life. We need to make sure that we have a financial budget where we're giving as God says give. We're saving, but we're also spending. We're, We're wise when it comes to financial management. We need to make sure that we stay connected to God's people. We always follow God's leadership. You don't want to live your life in such a way that you that you disconnect from the people of God and you miss God's plan and his will for your life. You want to refuse the enemy as leading you to stay away from God's people or God's direction. And then when it comes to temptation, whether you're kids, students, adults, whatever age you are, you realize temptation is not something you play around with or flirt with. You handle temptation God's way with the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, you handle temptation God's way. When Joseph was tempted as a young man in the book of Genesis, what did he do? He didn't play around with it. He ran, he fled. Some of us need to be running and fleeing. It's exactly what Joseph did. There's some things in life we need to refuse. One of those being to seek revenge. I want you to look at two things. Number one, man's advice. When you look at this text, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. I've talked to you about En Gedi. Just an incredible place. And uh, we oftentimes, again, we'll go there. And, and David here is in this cave. Saul goes in there to relieve himself. And, and you can just imagine what's going on in that cave. And then here's what the men of David said to him. They're going to say a word into David's life. And here's what they said. Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him and it shall seem good to you. And so man's advice is saying, David, here's your opportune time. 
Saul's been trying to take your life. He's been trying to kill you. You have him in the palm of your hands. David, here's religious language, but you can take down your enemy. You can take down the Lord's anointed. You can take down Saul at this very moment. It's now you can do it based on what, not what God wants to do, but what you want to do. David, here is your time. I encourage every single one of us, whatever age you are, to make sure it is wise to listen to a multitude of counselors. But also, I want to encourage you, be careful about listening to people who simply use religious language, but who who want you to do something that you want to do outside of what God wants you to do. You need to make sure you listen to people carefully. And here's what I would say, too, in that. I always encourage people, if you're struggling in life and you need help and you need support and you need someone to speak with, it is wise and okay to see a counselor. But as I go along in pastoral ministry, I want to make sure, again, if I recommend somebody to see a counselor, I want to do everything I can to make sure they're seeing the right counselor. So when I sit down with a counselor, interviewing somebody to say as a pastor, I may recommend some people come to see you, but I want to ask you some questions first. I want to make sure who you are, what is your approach to counseling, to make sure you're going to honor the Lord and you're faithful to him. Just because somebody has an ichthus on their sign does not mean they're going to honor Jesus in that counseling. So here are the three questions I asked them. Number one, just share with me your conversion story. If you're going to be a Christian biblical counselor, then you need a conversion story. And that conversion story, Jesus should always be the hero of your story. It's not you. It's not your sin. Jesus is the hero. He's the one who died on Calvary's cross and gave his life for you. He's the one who saves you. We don't save ourselves. So share with me your conversion story. Secondly, share with me the church you're involved in and how you serve in that local church. Because if you're going to be a Christian counselor, you're a Christ follower, you know the Lord Jesus, then you ought to be connected to a local church and you should be serving in some capacity in that church. And then thirdly, share with me how you use the counsel of God's word in the context of counseling. I'm not saying you preach a sermon. I'm not saying you beat somebody up with the Bible. But if you're going to be a Christian, biblical, godly counselor, then you need to use the word of God in your counseling because Jesus himself said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so if we're going to be free, then we need to focus on the truth, the living truth and the written truth. Jesus Christ and the counsel of God's word. So how do you do that? Make sure you are understanding man's advice. Number two is God's wisdom. So the advice that David got in that cave that day is say, David, Saul is right in front of you. You can take down his life. But what, what is God saying? And here's what David did. We see this. Saul's in there relieving himself. And David's sitting there. What, is, what does David do? David arose. He secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And after David's heart struck him. What happened in the midst of that? Why did David's heart sink when he did that very thing to King Saul? Let me just give you a few insights that why did that happen? One, it made the king look bad. And that was not David's place to do. Secondly, it showed David a lack of respect for the king. And that was not David's place to do either. Third, it, 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 was, it was not David's place to get even with Saul. That was God's work, not David's work. And then when David did that, it was one step. It was a first step toward murder. 
And you, you realize, you know this, an affair just doesn't happen. There's a step. There's a first step to an affair. And so for David, this is one step in, in relationship to murder. And David understood that. But also it, it denied that he was the Lord's anointing. And so David's heart was struck because he cut the corner of Saul's robe off in that cave. And so what was God's wisdom? When you look at God's wisdom, he's showing you what his will is for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for your career. What does he want? You're you're seeking, God, I need your wisdom to live in life because I want to know your will in life. Here's man's advice. Here's God's wisdom. You want to make sure you're listening to godly people, but you also want to make sure you're following the wisdom of God. God, I want your will for my life, for my marriage, for my family, for my career, everything about my life, God. I want your wisdom in that. Now, here's the thing for us. I hope this connects it together for you. Because how do we take man's advice and God's wisdom and how do we find the sweet spot of those? And let me give you these three statements here that I've used in my own walk with Christ. We see from God's word, but how do we see man's advice and God's wisdom connect together? Number one, is it an agreement with God's word? If man's asking you to do something and here's the will of God, it needs to be an agreement with God's word because God is always faithful to his word. He'll never break a promise. He'll never contradict himself. God is faithful to scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It should be an agreement with God's word. So if man is telling you to do something that God's word forbids, then listen to God's word. Number two, do what trusted godly people say. That's not a contradiction to what I just said. There are people out there in life. You'll have them around your life. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the word of God and they stand on the truth of God's word. They love you and they love to see you obey the will of God. You can trust those godly selected people in your life. And you know who they are. Your spirit's going to resonate in that sense. And then number three, has the Lord given you peace? He's not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. And when God leads you to discover his will and to do it, he's going to give you peace. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be sacrifice. It's not always going to be convenient. But but you're going to understand, God has given me peace to do what he's asking me to do. And so you can refuse to seek revenge against another person who's hurt you, wounded you, or injured you. Why? Because you are... Sure, you're listening to what man's saying, but you're seeking the wisdom of God. It's in agreement with his word. People are speaking into your life and God has given you peace about it. You can refuse to seek revenge. Number two, decide to walk toward. Let me ask you today, when you're, again, you think about young people in this room, people who've had years of life, what do you walk toward and what do you walk away from? Listen, I've got good news for you. Lean into this just for a moment. Aren't you grateful that our Heavenly Father walked toward you and me? You say, why do you say that? Well, Jesus left heaven and he took on human flesh in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He shed his blood. He's buried in a tomb. The tomb was empty. Jesus Christ is alive. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while while, again, while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Almighty God walked toward you and me. As we were walking away, he walked toward us. Also today, I want to give you a challenge. You want to lean in because I want to give you a word of warning. 
If you walk away from these things, it will cost you dearly in your life. Whether you're young, old, whatever age you are, if you walk away from Almighty God, you walk away from the Word of God, you walk away from the people of God, and you walk away from obeying God, it will cost you dearly in your life. I just want to encourage every age group today, don't walk away from God, run to Him. Don't walk away from God's Word, bury your life into God's Word. Don't walk away from the people of God. Connect with God's people because we need one another. Don't walk away from obedience. Walk to obedience. Because partial obedience is disobedience. Surrender your life and walk to the Lord Jesus Christ and obey Him. And we see in this context, in this text here, David is again in this cave with Saul, cuts off the corner of his robe, had Saul in the palm of his hand. But what did David do? Look in verse 8. After David also arose and went out of the cave... And called after Saul, my lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, what did David do? He walked toward Saul. It took courage. It took character. It took backbone. But he didn't talk about to to Saul's men. He talked directly to Saul. I want to ask you, what are you walking away from? What are you walking toward? And I want to encourage you, sometimes it takes a lot of courage to do this. It takes a lot of, a lot of backbone to do this. But if somebody's injured you, wounded you, hurt you, instead of walking away from that person, there are times you need to walk toward that person. And you say, well, if I walk toward, what am I going to do? Look at number one, you address lies. It's exactly what David did in this context. And he said to him, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? He's not talking to somebody else about Saul. He's talking to Saul. He's addressing lies. What is What are the lies being shared? I was pastoring a church. And uh, a gentleman called me one day and said, Hey, I just want you to know there's a, a brother in our church family. He's a leader in our church family. He's talking about you to other people. And I think what he's saying to other people is not the truth about you. And I just thought you ought to know that. What do you do with that? And so I just knew what I knew. I had a sense of what I needed to do. So I walked out to my assistant and I said, hey, would you do me a favor and call the gentleman by name? Can you contact him and see if he can meet with me this afternoon? Because I need to have a conversation with him. I wasn't angry. I wasn't going to be bitter with him. I wasn't going to be harsh with him. I just want to have a conversation because if he's speaking things that are not true, then I need to deal with that. I need to walk toward him and I need to address lies in the midst of that. Let me ask you, who do you need to walk toward in your life and address lies? Anybody saying anything about you is just not true. Happened for David. What about you? Number two, you speak truth. When you're you're confronting this person and you're in the presence of this person, what did David do? David spoke truth. David ultimately spoke verbal truth but also had visual truth. And he said to him, David seeks to harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. Some told me to kill you. There again, that's man's advice. David said, I'm not going to do it, but I spared you. That's God's wisdom. I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. 
for the fact that I cut off your robe and, and did not kill you, you know that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you have hunted to take my life and take it. What is David doing? David is speaking truth to say, Saul, I had you in the palm of my hands. I cut off a corner of your robe. I could have taken your life. There were people in my circle of life. They even said to me to take your life. I refuse to do that. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm going to release you. That is God's work. That's not my works. David is speaking truth into Saul's life. And so my assistant called that man and he came into my, my study that afternoon and we sat down together and I called him by his name and I said, I just understand you're speaking things that are just not true about me to people in our church. And here's what he was saying. I, I, I'd just been doing my doctoral work and I just finished my doctoral degree and he was saying to people in the church two things to say, well, now that our pastor has finished his doctoral degree, two things are getting ready to happen. He's either getting ready to leave and go to another church or he's going to ask us for a raise for more money now that he has higher education. And I just said to him, I said, brother, I, I don't want to talk to somebody else. I want to talk to you. I think Matthew 18, I always want to obey God's word. And I want you to know those things you're saying, number one, I'm not looking to go to another church. Now, if God calls me to go somewhere, my yes is on the table. I will obey him. But I'm not looking to go to another church just because I finished this degree. And number two, I've never asked for a raise. I'll not do that. So that is not true either. So you can rest assured. I'm not looking to leave and I'm not asking for more money. I just did what God asked me to do. And I spoke the truth to that man. I just want to encourage you. Refuse to seek revenge. Let God do his work. Make a commitment to walk toward. It's not easy. It's painful. It's hard. Sometimes you got to, but you got to address lies and you got to speak truth. And then number three, commit to extend grace. If I ask you today, when you look at your life, and let's just get real honest here. When you look at your life, are you living for the applause of people or the approval of God? I'm thankful in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David was living for the approval of God and not the applause of people. You know, if David had stuck a knife in, in Saul's back, he would have probably received praise from the people. But David was more important to him. It's the approval of God. And when you look at David and you see this, it points me to the Lord Jesus Christ because David was extremely gracious to Saul. He extended grace. Did Saul deserve that? Sure. Tried to kill David. Did David have an opportunity? He sure did. But, but he didn't do that. Look at this text he goes on to say. And he says, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. That's a statement of grace from David's heart to Saul. Two things here. Number one, model patience. You've got to learn to wait upon the Lord. Uh, you're going to have to be patient. His timing is different than ours. And the world's going to say to you, it may be a week, it may be a month, it may be a year, but somewhere you get even with that person. No, you just wait upon God. You be patient with Him. There's even some things that I shared last week, Angie and I, we're just modeling patience. We're waiting upon the direction and leadership of God. When God says move, we'll, we'll take that step as we need to. Model patience. Number two, pursue obedience. 
I believe David was pursuing obedience. Several years ago, I was at uh, an event and participating in an event with the North American Mission Board. And there was a pastor who was uh, on, on the platform, on the program as well. And he talked about this young lady in the church he was pastoring, had God's call in her life to go to the mission field. And she, she just had this sense in her spirit that if she obeyed the leadership of Christ, she would lose her life on the mission field. So just make sure you understand that. God's calling me to go to the mission field, but he's given me this sensitivity to his spirit that if I obey him, when I go on the mission field, I'm going to lose my life on the mission field and die. So she took out a pen and a piece of paper and she wrote a letter and she put it in an envelope and sealed it. And then as before she left to go on the mission trip, she gave it to her pastor and said, I don't want you or your wife to open this letter until you hear the news that I have died on the mission field. One day the pastor receives a phone call and the word is, I want you to hear the news. Karen, on the mission field, she was killed today on the mission field. And the pastor said to his wife, quickly bring, bring me the letter. And they opened the letter. And this young lady by the name of Karen just said in the letter, she said, I want to use the rest of my days and my life for Jesus and pursuing obedience. How many of us can say the same thing? Different ages. How many of us say, Jesus, my life is about you and the desire of my life is to pursue obedience. And what does that look like? Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it with the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You leave it with him. There were two monks uh, walking together one day, one older, wiser, one younger. And, and one of their rules that they could never touch a lady, a female. And they're walking along a path one day and they come to a stream. It's a flowing stream. There was this elderly lady sitting by the stream and she's weeping and crying. And so these two monks, one older and one younger, walk down and just say, to her, what's wrong? And she says, I need to get to the other side, but I can't get to the other side. I can't have the strength. I can't do it. And the older monk just bent down and he picked this lady up. And he carried her to the other side and put her down. And she went on her way. And then him and the younger monk continued to walk together. And they'd been walking a couple of hours. No word had been spoken. Inside the younger monk, he was seething to ask a question. So finally he broke the silence and he said to the older monk, said, why in the world did you do that? You know that you can't touch a lady. Why did you do that? And the older monk just said to the young one, he said, I put that lady down hours ago. Why are you still carrying her? For some of us in this room, when it comes to an injured, wounded, hurt relationship, some of you need to put down revenge and pick up release, forgiveness. 
Some of you in this room and watching, you need to put down yourself and pick up the cross of Christ and embrace what Jesus did for you. Some of you need to put down your plans and your agendas and pick up the will of God and direction for you in your life. And you can do that when you make a commitment and you stand to say, Lord, with everything I have, everything you've trusted me with, I have decided to follow Jesus. Can you say that today? Revenge, your future, your salvation, your obedience. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, Lord, I don't know anything else to say. But Lord, I do pray today for people to obey your leadership. Lord, if somebody needs to come to this altar and just put down revenge and pick up, release, forgiveness, Lord, I pray that'll happen. Lord, somebody needs to come to this altar or come forward in imitation and put down self and pick up the cross of Christ and embrace what you did for us. Your unmerited favor, your grace, your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that will happen today. Lord, somebody needs to come to this altar and say today, I've decided to follow Jesus. And What that means is I'm, I'm putting down my agenda and my plans and I'm picking up his will for my life. I'm pursuing obedience. And if, whatever that means, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we will follow you. Father, thank you that we don't have to live with a revengeful heart. We don't have to look to retaliate or repay or resent somebody. But Lord, if you have, as you have released us, we can release others. And I pray you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I pray there are people who walk out of these doors or who log off their computer or television in just a moment and say, for the first day of my life, for weeks, months, or years, hallelujah, Lord Jesus, I am free today because of grace and following you. We love you, Lord. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.